we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, we've been going through the attributes of God. How many, how many have, have enjoyed uh, this series so far? It's pretty amazing. God's attributes, there's so many. And as Pastor Jason has said, we could spend easily the whole year going through all these different attributes. Um, I always struggle a little bit when I'm preparing a message because once I start studying something, I like to teach, and so then I go deep, 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 deep into it, and then I'm like, ah, rabbit trailing everywhere, and I feel like that's what happens whenever I think about any of these um, attributes of God. We've talked about uh, God being infinite. We've talked about him being immutable. He is love. He is good. He is wise. He is faithful. He is merciful, and he is gracious. And for today, the attribute I'm going to talk about is God is jealous. God is jealous. It's not one that we think about very often. Um, how I got this, this attribute, because Pastor Jason told me, I knew like a month and a half or a couple months in advance that I'd be preaching for this, this Sunday. And um, I was driving one morning early to the peninsula to be with the Lord because I was feeling a little distant from him. How many have ever felt that way? And so I was, I was like, I just need to go be with God in nature. Nature is one of my favorite places to experience the Lord and be with him. And so I put on a worship song as I'm driving, and I'm worshiping him, and all of a sudden, the thought just comes to my mind. He just speaks to me. He just says, I'm jealous for you. I'm a God who is jealous, and I am jealous for you. And instantly, as he said it, it made me cry. I mean, my tears just started coming. I'm like, oh, man, i got to try to find the glove box and get a tissue out. You know, I'm going to get in an accident, you know. Um, so I'm crying a little bit here, and, and um, he says, that's what I want you to talk about on this Sunday. And um, I was excited about it, but um, it meant a lot to me personally, um, it was two good things. One, well, one good thing when I thought about it, you know, he loved me. I knew God loved me when he said he was jealous for me. But the other thing that came to my mind was, but something is not surrendered to him. Because you don't tell somebody you're jealous unless something's not right, right? And so um, we're going to dive into a lot of different aspects of jealousy, I think, a little bit. I'm going to try to make this as simple as possible. But I really want to move us from a place of knowing God to really knowing how much he loves us to a place of also loving him with surrendering everything to him and surrendering the idols of our lives. And so, what is jealousy? How many of you have been jealous before? Yes, we've all been jealous? Okay. So here's the definition of jealousy from Merriam-Webster's dictionary. Jealousy is a jealous disposition, attitude, or feeling, zealous vigilance. And then the word jealous is defined as hostile toward a rival or one believed to enjoy an advantage, intolerant of rivalry or unfaithfulness, vigilant in guarding a possession. That's a pretty powerful disposition, attitude, or feeling. And so um, we all have experienced jealousy. Jealousy can be kind of 
you can have like a playful jealousy, maybe a flirty type jealousy. So you might see a couple uh, dining together, maybe a boyfriend and girlfriend, and all of a sudden this other guy, the waiter comes by, and maybe he speaks French, and he says like bonjour and oui, oui, those are the only words I know, and smiles at the girl, and she's like giggly, you know, or whatever, and responding back a little bit. And then her boyfriend on the other side, after he leaves, the boyfriend probably looks a little bit like, you know, what's going on here? And then she says something like, what, are you jealous? You know, and it's all like, and it's playful, and there's that type of jealousy. But then there's also just very deep jealousy, uh, a serious emotion. And like any emotion, jealousy is not good or bad. Emotions are neutral. How many knew that? Emotions are neutral. Emotions are not good or bad. Anger is not bad. Jealousy is not bad. What's good or bad is the motivation behind what you're feeling and or how we respond to the emotion. So I can have a righteous anger and uh, where I'm, where I'm uh, genuinely angry for a good reason and I respond in an appropriate situation. Um, so, for instance, if I see somebody getting beat up on the street for no reason, they're helpless, and some person's just beating them up, that's going to make us angry, right? And that's a good motivation, because helpless people, you know, people shouldn't get, be getting beat up, right? And so then I would respond by pulling out some kung fu and beating that guy up, right? Um, that would be an appropriate response. Stop the person that's hurting the other person, if I'm able, of course. So that's an appropriate response to anger, but you could also have unrighteous anger, where uh, I, get, I could get irrationally angry because I took what someone said in a wrong way, maybe it triggered something in my past, and it comes out, and I just respond in a very poor way, whether physically or, or emotionally or uh, with my words, whatever. So there can be good anger, it can, anger, there is anger, but we can respond to it in a wrong way. Jealousy is no different. Jealousy can be motivated from sinful weakness. It can be motivated by wounded pride, an overly possessive spirit of control, or some type of insecurity. Or it can be a sign of genuine love, the fruit of care and concern for the welfare of the one who is loved, and the reflection of the commitment and devotion to that, to that person. And the response can be the same. You know, you can either respond in a good way or you can respond in a bad way. With God, we never have to worry about his emotions going either way. We don't have to worry about that because he is perfect. James 1, 13 and 16, it talks about how God, there's no darkness in him, there's no shadow of turning, there's no evil in him. John 4, 8 says God is love. That's who he is. That's his makeup. When you talk about love, he created everything with love. There's not one thing he didn't create with love. Even when he created Lucifer, he created Lucifer and all of the angels with love, in love, because that's who he is. It's, the, it's how he works. Obviously, Lucifer chose poorly and uh, made the wrong decision in rebelling against God. But um, God is love. And so his jealousy is always motivated by perfect love by his graciousness, by his mercy, by his kindness. And his response is always appropriate to the situation, bathed in his love, mercy, and righteous judgment. So let's take a couple, take a look at a few, few different verses. 
Um, a lot of these verses are pulled from uh, Exodus. I'm going to go through four verses. There's two from Exodus, one from Deuteronomy, and one from James. And um, they're all, the first three are in response uh, when Israel is on Mount Sinai, or at Mount, at Mount Sinai after they were delivered from Egypt, and the Lord is establishing his covenant with them. And in Exodus 34, 12 through 14, he says, Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy the altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. I found it very interesting that God's name is Jealous. His name is Jealous. What is your name, God? My name is Jealous. That's, that's pretty crazy. When I think about it. God has many names. I mean, his name is Yahweh, but he has a name, but he goes by many other names. And one of them is Jealous. And he is Jealous as an attribute. The Bible definition of Jealous is that it's used of God as not bearing any rival. The severe avenger of departure from himself. Deuteronomy 4, 23-24 Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make, your, make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Now today is Pentecost Sunday, and I actually consider talking about God as a consuming fire, which I believe I'll get to do in a little, in a little while here. But um, his jealousy is linked to his, his consuming fire. I mean, it's a, it's a hot, passionate jealousy that he has for us. Exodus 20, 4 through 6. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. This passage is actually the first time we see um, God using the word jealousy to, to describe himself. And in this passage, God is actually, as I mentioned, betrothing the nation of Israel to himself as his wife. He's laying out the covenant, the marriage vows, and this is part of them. This was the second one. The first one was, you shall love the Lord your God. He is the only God. And then, do not have idols in your life. James 4, in the New Testament. This is a pretty intense passage here. I'm going to read 1 through 6. It says, James says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? but gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In all of these passages, there are, and there are many, many more, if you just do a, go on BibleGateway.com and just search jealous or jealousy in the Bible, 
uh, a lot of verses come up. But uh, in all of these verses and in many others, there's a few things I want us to take note of. First, God is jealous for his people. Who's a people here? Okay. He's jealous for you. And he's not shy about saying it. You know, God's not afraid to communicate how he feels. You know, in our relationships, how many of you have been in a relationship or are? Don't raise your hand if you are. Okay. Uh, that the communication is not so good. That's a rhetorical question. Okay? Some of us are really good at sharing our emotions and communicating. Some of us are not. And there's all kinds of different reasons for it. But God is jealous, and he's not shy about saying it. God will tell you how he feels. And he wants you to know how he feels. And he wants to know how you're feeling. Even though he knows how you're feeling, he wants you to tell him. He likes to talk to you. Just as a father or mother likes to talk to their child, he wants to talk to us. He wants to dialogue with us. He wants to get to the bottom of things in our hearts and set us free. Another thing is whenever God speaks of his jealousy, it's always in terms of a relationship. A relationship that he has with, uh, with someone in a covenantal aspect, a marriage, a wanting to himself, where he has given himself to them and them to himself. God is serious about relationships. He's serious about his love for you. When he talks about jealousy, it's always regarding the unfaithfulness of his people to himself. Idolatry, which in terms of the covenant is also adultery a form of spiritual adultery. God does not uh, tolerate unfaithfulness. How many of you have heard the word tolerate a lot used you know, in our culture? You know, tolerating, tolerance, everybody wants to think that you know, it's tolerating things are good, and some things can be tolerated, but some things should not be tolerated. Tolerance, there's a difference between tolerance and mercy and long-suffering. Tolerance says, I'm okay with this as long as it doesn't hurt me. Whereas mercy and long-suffering says, that's not okay, but I will give you the opportunity to repent. You know, sometimes it can seem like, man, God really tolerates sin and all this different stuff in the world, all the evil and vileness of the world. He, he, he must be okay with some of it. He's not okay with any of it. He is someone who is long-suffering and merciful. How many are thankful for his long-suffering in your life? I know I am. I lay down sometimes, I'm like, I don't know how. You just keep loving me. And uh, you keep showing mercy and grace to me. It's powerful. But God does not tolerate unfaithfulness. So he is long-suffering and merciful. And thankfully, all of his attributes work together. You know, All of his attributes work in conjunction with each other. So we don't have to worry, again, of him responding in a wrong way or having wrong motives. He can't. He won't. And so we can take refuge in that. But he takes seriously the relationships he commits to because God is a wild lover. I don't know if you have heard the term wild lover, but it's a term that I have wholeheartedly grasped and uh, I just love it. He is a wild lover. And what I mean by wild lover is a few things. His love cannot be tamed. You can't tame God's love. You can't put him in a box. C.S. Lewis, speaking of uh, the character he created, Aslan, representing Jesus, he says, he's not a tame lion. He's not a tame lion. God cannot be tamed. His love cannot be tamed. 
His love is not predictable. Now, what I mean by that is it is somewhat predictable in that it's constant. He's always going to give us love. He, he, it's who he is. But um, it's constant in so many ways, but you can't always predict how he's going to show it to you. He's going to show it to you in many wonderful ways. One of the ways that God has begin, begun to show me love is while I'm out working in the yard or wherever, I will be doing something and I'll look down and I'll find a little rock and it's shaped in a heart. And I'm like, wow, the Lord is like a little kiss from heaven. I love you. The other day I was at the, right over here, um, at Brown's Farm. I had finished hiking through Asbury Woods and I sat down and I was just kind of like spending some time with the Lord talking through some things uh, on one of the picnic table benches. And I just was sitting there, like, with my knee, hands on my knees, and I just decided, to, I just put my hand down and picked up a rock just because I was fidgety. And I picked up a little rock, and it was shaped in a heart again. It happened, I had two heart rocks come in, like, two weeks' time. And I was like, wow, God. I just knew, he's like, I love you. And I'm like, oh. his, his love is not predictable. You don't know how it's going to come, but it's going to come. And it's going to be good. His love is powerful, strong, fiery, and passionate. He's a wild lover. Psalm, I'm sorry, Song of Solomon 8.6 says, Set me as a seal on your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. His love is powerful. You cannot stop his love when it's moving. His love is the most romantic of all loves. Romantic of all loves. How many have read Song of Solomon? Raise your hand. Okay. If you have not read Song of Solomon, take a read. I would recommend adults read it, not children. But in it, you see romance. You see passion. Deep passion. God created all of that. It belongs to him. He is the wild lover, and he loves romantically and deeply. The more time you spend with the wild lover, with Jesus, the more you'll be able to love like him. So, just a side note, if you're married, and your marriage is not feeling very much fiery love and romance, each of you start to spend some time with Jesus with the wild lover and be with him and begin to let him love you deeply. The more that you and I learn to love him and also receive his love. Actually, the most important thing is, you know, in the relationship with God, it is not us who keeps the relationship together, right? It is God who keeps this relationship together. It is his love. It is his goodness that draws us back to himself. Yes, we have to make a choice and decide to follow him, but he is the one who holds the relationship and the covenant together. It's in his blood, right? And so when we're with him, the more that we can learn to receive love, because not everyone can receive love well, you know? Sometimes the Lord will say, I love you, and I say, I love you too. And he'll do it again, and I say, I love you too. But saying, I love you too, is not receiving the love that he's giving. We need to say, thank you. I love you. Thank you. Thank you for loving me. I receive your love into myself. As we do that, 
trust me, it will help you in how you respond to your friends, to your spouses, to anybody in your life. He wants us, he wants to know that he is passionately in love with us. His love will not stop at death in order to show how much he loves us. And that's what we see with Jesus. He did not stop at death. He died for us because he loved us. Because he wanted us. The Lord wants you. This is the key point I want you to know today. Is When God says he is jealous, he means he is wildly in love with you. He wants you. How many have felt unwanted? I know that's something I struggle with. Undesirable, whatever. Needing approval. God loves you. And he will do everything within his power to show you his love, to tell you he loves you, and to rescue you and draw you back to himself, whether you find yourself separated from him because of sin or because you're being attacked. Because sometimes we can feel separated from God and it's not like we've sinned. It's more like we've been attacked and it's like the separation is like trying to, something's trying to separate us and it's an attack, not necessarily sin all the time. But he's the wild lover. Think about the stories in the movies we love. Have you ever thought about what the greatest stories consist of? The ones that we go to the theater for? Some, it always has some type of exciting adventure. How many like adventure? Okay, adventure. There's always some type of conflict. How many of you like conflict? <laughs> None of us like conflict, but we don't mind it in the movies, right? Because, you know, it's not bothering us. It's not what we're dealing with. However, every story, every great story, there's an adventure and there is a conflict between good and evil in some way. And then there's a protagonist that everyone loves. Think about the protagonist, the person, the hero that you love, the, the person in the, in the movie or story that you love. Then there's an antagonist who everyone hates. How many love when the bad guy dies? <laughs> I mean, don't, I mean, it's true. So you usually do. If, if it's a really good bad guy and then he winds up not living at the end, you're like, yes. And right in the middle of that whole thing, there's always a love story. And there will be a guy who falls in love with a woman and the antagonist will try to steal her away for some reason and hurt her and hurt the protagonist. Yet the hero, this wild lover, will fight against all odds to win her heart back or win her and to save her life and defeat the antagonist. And this hero is the wild lover. This is, this is the story that we love. And in that moment, nobody can stop the wild lover. Nothing can stop him. He'll climb the highest mountain. He'll swim the deepest sea. He'll go as far as to lay down his life for her. We love these stories. And this is the story of the Bible, if you didn't know. It's the story of God. We see it with Israel. He sets Israel free from Egypt. He loves her wildly, delivers her. He marries her on Mount Sinai. The wild lover, then we go through all the Bible and you see Jesus come. 
The wild lover literally comes to earth. He dies for the sins of the world. He dies for his bride, Israel. Because the Bible says, actually, that when we Gentiles, those who are not of Israel, come to faith in Jesus, we are grafted into Israel. We become his love story, his love interest. He is the rider on the white horse that slays a dragon. If you read the book of Revelation, you see the devil is called a dragon. Jesus literally comes back on a white horse and slays him. He slays the dragon. If you can hear me today, you need to know that God is jealous for you. He is a wild lover, and he loves you passionately. He wants you. He desires you. Be encouraged by that. Wherever you're at in your life, whatever's going on, no matter how far away you feel from God, God is jealous for you. He loves you. He wants you. Over and over and over again. He does not want to be separated from you for eternity. He wants to be with you for eternity because he knows who he created you to be. And he didn't create you to be no one. He didn't create you to be dumb, boring, any of those things. He created you to be alive, full of joy and peace and just, he gave you gifts and talents and skills and he wants you to excel in them and be fruitful and just be alive, fully alive. He wants you, and he's jealous for you. So that brings us to the challenge today. What does God's jealousy really mean for us if he loves us that much? If Jesus is the wild lover and he is jealous for us, it means spiritual monogamy with God. The removal of idols, and I'm going to call them the less wild lovers, the counterfeit lovers. I like calling idols less wild lovers because it's a strategic term that I've learned. It keeps us reminded that we are loved by God and that no idol, nothing else in this entire world, will love us and meet the needs of our hearts like our wild lover. The less wild lovers cannot meet our needs. At the end of the day, God won't tolerate them anyways. He is merciful and long-suffering with us, but we cannot be united to God and to an idol. We can't be united to the wild lover and the less wild lover because God will not tolerate it at the end of the day. Our enemy works hard to keep us separated from the wild lover. He works to distract us every single second. And that's why in Proverbs 4.23, if you can memorize any proverb or any verse, it says, above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. The guarding of your heart is the most important thing that you will ever do as a follower of Jesus, other than like choosing to follow Jesus, when you are following him, guarding your heart. Your heart is where God lives. Your heart is where your emotions dwell, where everything flows from your heart, all of your passions, all of your desires, all the things that you love. It's all from your heart. And if the enemy can get his finger into your heart, he'll wreck it. Idolatry was the first sin that God addressed with Israel in the Ten Commandments. It's the number one sin that God had to confront with Israel, Israel on a regular basis. It's the one that sent them into captivity and death. And it's the number one sin that we will deal with in our lives as well. We are no different from Israel. If you study Israel, you'll see that they turn to God, then they live blessed, and then they fall away to idolatry, and then the Lord warns them, hey, 
you guys are falling away, come back to me, I'm jealous for you. But they don't, and then they continue with their sin, and then they wind up suffering the consequences of their sin, going into captivity, and then the Lord brings them back to repentance. He, he'll, he, they'll, they'll, in, their, in their calamity, they'll say, God, we need you, we've sinned. They repent, they turn to him, he brings them back. And if you go through the Bible, it's just that cycle continuously. But you know what? We're no different. I am not different than that. I deal with that cycle too. How many deal with the cycle? Be honest. Come to God, turn away from God, repent, and then it kind of keeps happening again. Why does it happen like this? One, we hate pain. How many of you like pain and suffering? No pain, no gain. I hate that term. I don't like pain. I don't want to gain without pain. Gosh. We hate suffering. We do everything we can to get out of it. That's why there's so much confusion in this world about everything. About everything. What's good? What's evil? You know, confusion about sexuality, gender. Uh, is this right or wrong? Drugs, everything. There's, there's so much confusion about everything because we are experiencing so much pain in our, in our hearts. And God tells us in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So why don't we turn to him in those times when we're feeling that pain? It's because we don't trust him in some way. We don't trust that he'll come through. We sang the song, you know, you're never going to let me down. But do we really believe it? We don't trust that he is good. We can't, see, we can't see how what we desire will ever come to pass. And we think we might, that God might be lying and tricking us. Just like Adam and Eve thought God was tricking them. So in response to this, what happens? So we experience pain. We don't fully trust God. And then we wind up looking for the less wild lover, the idol. And we all have them, every one of us. Food, hobbies, physical gratification, sexual gratification, drugs of any kind, alcohol. Maybe it's not alcohol as an addiction, but simply having the extra glass of wine to make yourself feel better when you're really struggling in your heart, when you're feeling lonely or sad, just depressed, like God's not going to come through, you can't see things coming to fruition that you desire. There's a lot of wild lovers, or less wild lovers. There's video games, movies, television, entertainment, binge watching. How many of you, like me, can binge watch? Yeah, we can binge watch. There's nothing wrong with doing a binge here and there, I don't think, but when it becomes a regular thing, we need to start asking ourselves some questions. Social media can be a less wild lover. Posting excessive amounts of photos and selfies in order to get likes. I don't think we realize it, but the need for approval and value and worth is epidemic right now. If you feel better about yourself in any way, because even one person liked the picture you posted, and then if more people liked it and it made you feel even better, I would ask you to take serious, a serious look within and ask yourself, what am I really craving? What is going on in my heart that a simple little 
heart. Oh, you have 10 likes. You have 100 likes. If it makes you feel better, you need to start asking yourself, what am I craving? Am I craving approval? I've known many people, and I've dated some people where I couldn't even go out with them without having to take pictures of like everything and post it, even when we're not happy, and we smile, hey. It's like, okay. That's an idol, guys. It's, it's, it's a less wild lover. Social media is a, it can be a very good tool, and you can post a lot of great things, and it can be very fun, but it can be very detrimental. And I believe studies show that uh, the effects of social media has really um, messed a lot of people up. There's other less wild lovers. Maybe it's the retention of knowledge and feeling the feeling of accomplishment and pride that you get from knowing lots of things and the admiration that comes. Maybe it's being in the know and gossiping that's your less wild lover. Maybe it's your job and being a workaholic. And when you struggle, you just, you're struggling in your heart for something, you just go and fill your time up with work and make yourself feel better through work. That's a less wild lover. Maybe it's money and your constant endeavors and your constant endeavors to earn more money can be a less wild lover. Maybe it's fitness and your appearance to be a less wild lover, and there's many more. My question and challenge for you today is, what is your less wild lover? Maybe I named it, maybe I didn't. We usually have more than one. For me, my, probably my top three less wild lovers has been food, physical gratification, and hobbies. When my heart starts feeling pain in some way, Loneliness is a big one for me. Uh, feeling unloved and unwanted at times, relationally at times. Maybe you can identify with those. Other pains and discomforts I've struggled with is unmet desires that I felt like the Lord should have met by now. How many have those? Yeah. Disappointments concerning different seasons of my life and the amount of time God took to lead me out of it. How many have been in a season of life and you're like... I'm tired of this season. Get me out. I've had fear concerning finances and being poor, worrying about not having what it takes to lead well, and failing miserably. I think we all deal with the same pains, guys. And there's lots of others. Maybe you have pain from abuse that you dealt with, things that you suffered in your childhood or through a relationship. There's all kinds of them. Rejection is a big one. In those moments, that's when I have oftentimes turned to the Lord, but oftentimes I've turned to the less wild lovers in that time, and more times than I want to admit or feel comfortable even sharing, because honestly, it's probably uncountable, except for God could probably count it because he can do anything. But, um, yeah, I find myself looking to the less wild lovers, and I'll, you know, I'll finish the day. How many have had a long work day and... You're tired, and you go home, and you get dinner, and you sit down, and then you're like, ah, it feels good, and then maybe you start feeling a certain way in your heart, and you turn on the TV, and you just scroll for like a half hour trying to find something to watch, and then I'll have a, I'll have a thought, I need ice cream right now to make myself feel better. I mean, I love ice cream. I live, by, I live like five minutes from Jay's Ice Cream in McCain, and I think I go there like, last year I went there at least once a week for the whole summer. Um, 
But anyways, you get the ice cream. And then what happens with me is I, I get in this thing where I'll be sitting down and I'll like have a TV on or trying to find something and I'll be eating something and I'm like, I'm still hungry when I'm done, even though I'm really not hungry. And I go back to the fridge or the cupboard like six times and I'm just praying to the Lord that I missed something in there that's delicious and that it will appear and then it doesn't appear. Like, it's real. It's rough. And, I, and I'm like, man. And the Lord's like, what you really want is me right now. I'm like, uh, do I? <laughs> Cheese and crackers sounds nice. Chocolate feels good to me. Yeah, we all have them, guys. We need to get rid of the less wild lovers. Jeremiah 2.13 says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me and found, uh, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Listen, the less wild lovers of your life, the things that we turn to instead of God for our peace, for our joy, for our comfort, for our satisfaction, for the love that we desire, for the approval that we desire, for the healing that we desire, anything we turn to. They are a broken cistern. They cannot hold water. They will provide no relief, no restoration. And I'll tell you guys, we spend a lot of time trying to find relief in this life. Relief is nice on a hot day. You get a cold drink of water and you say, ah, that's relief. But relief does not provide lasting satisfaction to your heart. What we really need is restoration. Restoration does provide relief but it also provides lasting satisfaction and healing. And we need restorative things rather than relief things. Less wild lovers are a relief, and they hold no water, and they will not bring restoration, and they will not bring satisfaction. Only your relationship with the wild lover will bring that. He's the one who restores. He's the one who can love every wound away and heal your heart and bring you peace. And he'll show you the activities and the relationships that you need to do also to help bring restoration. One of the things that I do for restoration is, again, I go take walks in the woods. I go sit at the peninsula. I do whatever I can to get into nature because I, I just really experience the love of God there. So how do we get rid of the, rest, the less wild lovers? Just, I have five things here, quickly. Um, and Jake, if you want to hop on my channel again. First, we need to name our less wild lovers. Name them. Take some time this week, or even now, as I've been talking, and name your less wild lovers. Who are they? What are they? This is what I've been doing. These things are the things that I've been doing personally. The second thing to do is repent. Change your mind concerning them. Change your mind concerning them. That's what repentance means. It means changing your mind. So if I'm sitting on the couch and I want ice cream, I change my mind. I don't really need ice cream. I've already eaten my dinner. I don't need more food right now. What am I really wanting? I'm changing my mind. I don't want ice cream, and I go be with Jesus. <clears throat> Jeremiah 3, 11 through 15 is such a great passage of Scripture. Listen to what it says in regards to repentance. It says, Then the Lord said to me, Backsliding Israel, I'm going to put my name in there, backsliding Andrew, has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. 
Go and proclaim these words to the north and, this, and to the north and say, "Return, backsliding Andrew," says the Lord. I will not cause my anger to fall on you, for I am merciful," says the Lord. I will not remain angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your charms to alien deities, the less wild lovers, under every green tree, and, ha- and you have not obeyed my voice, says the Lord. Return, O backsliding Andrew, says the Lord, for I am married to you. I will take you from one city, I'm so, from, sorry, I will take you one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion, and I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. It's a verse that we need to each write down and put our names in. Because this is the love that the Lord has for us when we repent. He says, I am married to you. He is one with us. Remove all the sexual aspect of it. Marriage is the wanting of two people together. And God, he is one with us. Number three, determine why you are turning to them. There's reasons why we turn to our less wild lovers. We all have them. Why are you turning to them? A lot of us don't want to deal with pain. We don't want to deal with the issues. We just want to keep getting relief. There is no relief in any wild lover or less wild lover, only the wild lover. Determine why you are turning to them and step into the pain. Step into the pain with Jesus. You know, in Buddhism and all the Eastern mysticism religions, you know, they teach you that there is nothing. You know, you can escape all this stuff and become one with the universe. And, you know, there is no suffering. There is none of this and that. The difference is that Jesus is, he steps into the suffering. He steps into your pain. What's your pain? He'll walk right into it with you and show you how to get out of it, how, how to heal it. He will heal it. What are your worries in your life? What are your fears? Where do you not trust him? Step into the pain with Jesus. He's not afraid to deal with it with you or with me. He already knows everything. Everything we'll ever want. Everything we'll ever need. Step into the pain and then trust the wild lover. A practice I've been doing and trusting the wild lover has been very helpful. How many know that less is more? Truly in life, less is more. Sometimes we think we got to do a bunch of things in the day and feel accomplished. I, did, I struggle with that. If I don't feel like I did enough in the day, I feel unaccomplished and like I have failed in some way. But less is more. And I'm finding that the less time I spend trying to do a bunch of things and I actually take the time to kind of do kind of nothing with the Lord, where I will just lay on my floor in my room, I will put on some instrumental worship with no words, and I just lay on the floor for excessive amounts of time. 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and I just listen to the music, and I breathe, and I just begin to talk to Jesus. And I just say, wild lover, Jesus, I open up myself to you. Fill me with your life. Fill me with your peace. 
And I just spend, and I just say, I receive your love. I receive your love. Thank you for loving me. I receive your love. And it just begins to wash over me, and peace begins to flow, and I feel restorative power flowing into me. And then I can talk to him about the pains. And I say, God, I'm really struggling with this. I don't trust you right now on this. I don't know what's going on. And he'll, he'll show me. He'll speak to your heart. Guys, God will speak to you as much as you are willing to let him speak to you. And he'll speak to me and bring me peace. And we work through things together. I also talk to some other people, friends that I trust, mentors that I trust. You know, step into the pain doesn't mean just laying on the floor. You may need to go get a counselor that follows Jesus and that can lead you in the way of righteousness and dealing with the things of your heart with the Lord. Maybe you need to talk to a pastor that you trust. Maybe you need to talk to a friend who has gone through a similar situation and has come out on top with the Lord. Stepping into the, in the pain is, can be many different things, but you do it with Jesus. And so today as we close, I just want all of you to close your eyes. As a summary, God is jealous. As an encouragement, God is jealous for you because he loves you and he is wildly in love with you. And as the challenge today, what are your less wild lovers? And let's just take a second here. You can do this more throughout this whole week and the days to come, but right now, just take a moment and identify those less wild lovers and repent and say, Jesus, Father in heaven, I ask you to forgive me. Just take that moment right now, and then I'll pray. If I could have some of the uh, small group leaders come up for up here, if, they need, if anybody needs prayer, we'll have some small group leaders up here that will pray with you. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for your son, Jesus. the wild lover who came and rescued us and died for us. And he's coming back again to deliver us forever from all pain and suffering. We thank you for him. Jesus, we thank you for dying for us. Thank you for coming to rescue us. Thank you for being willing to lay down your life for us. Lord, reveal to us all of the less wild lovers in our lives that we need to get rid of because we want to know you. Father, we repent of our sin. We change our mind. 
we set our hearts to commit to commit to stepping into the pain with you that we have in our hearts and seeking your face and letting you wash over us with your healing restorative power Jesus you are our first love we make you our first love today we want you we receive your love in us Father, I pray over every person that their hearts will be sensitive to you. As we leave this place today, that this message, that this jealousy that you have for us, God, would just burn within us. And that we be keenly aware of the distractions, of the idols, the less wild lovers in our lives, and have the boldness and the courage turn away from them and choose you. Purify our hearts, Holy Spirit, with your fire as only you can do. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer this morning, there are some people up here that will pray with you. If not, um, have an amazing Memorial Day weekend. Uh, take time to be with the wild lover. And uh, we'll be back here again the next Sunday, ready to have some more fun together. So, all right, we love you guys.